Have either of you guys ever tried to piss lying down or laying down? <laughs> no. no. When, when would that come I can't, up? Okay. When I was in hospital a couple of years ago getting my appendix out, I needed to piss, but I couldn't get out of bed. And I had like the bottle and everything and I just, I couldn't do it. Like I was trying and because I was lying down, my body just wouldn't let me because I wasn't like uh, in front of a table. Uh, I don't know if it was a psychological thing or a physical thing. Yeah, no, thing no. Or... I've been in hospital and yeah, I got like a, one of those cardboard jugs they gave to me. Yeah, yeah. And they I had one to, of them. I couldn't do it. Wanted to monitor how lo- how much I was pissing. So I had yep. to give it to them so they could measure it. Yep. Could not do it. Weird. I had to, I Weird. had to get a nurse to help me get out of bed and waddle to the toilet and it was very difficult but it was uh the only way it was going to happen all right uh, <laughs> hello and welcome to your favorite podcast brad is a bad person my name is morgan i am the host of this podcast and i am as charming as ted bundy <laughs> i am joined as always by lachlan you definitely have some things in common with ted bundy <laughs> who is as straight as jeffrey Dahmer, and by brad <laughs> hello there who is as funny as John Wayne Gacy. Oh, thank you. Okay, I just... All right. <laughs> Ted Bundy was charming, and Gacy was funny. Dharma wasn't straight. <laughs> I see you've gotten onto what Morgan was doing there. <laughs> Today we're talking about serial killers. Why are we so obsessed with serial killers? Is it our way of trying to understand evil? Is it a fear of death driving us to learn what is out there that could kill us? Is it just a morbid fascination? Whatever it is, there's no doubt that serial killers capture our attention and hold it with a death grip. Some of the most recognisable names from the 20th century were the prolific serial killers, the ones who terrorised the nation for years while they were active, and those who shocked the world when all of their crimes came out at once, with everyone completely unaware of what they were doing until after they were caught. Mm. Thankfully... Technology has progressed to the point where serial killers can no longer rack up huge numbers before being caught. There is better communication between law enforcement agencies, larger and more easily searchable databases, CCTV cameras almost everywhere, a tracking device in basically everybody's pocket, and it is much harder to change your identity and get away with it. Mm. So we are, thank God, unlikely to see serial killers these days able to put up numbers as high as Bundy, Little, and Ridgeway. But that doesn't mean serial killers are gone forever. A killer who may have been able to murder dozens of people in the 70s and 80s may only get to kill four or five today, but that is little consolation to those four or five and their loved ones. It is a terrifying thing to think about, and you can paralyze yourself with fear. Those who study serial killers often say that they become paranoid and can't leave their house without thinking they'll be abducted. We are all on edge after watching a scary movie or reading about a particularly horrific crime, but the likelihood of being taken by a serial killer is so low that it should barely warrant a second thought. But still, we are obsessed. How are we today, guys? Ready to slay this episode? (laughs) (laughs) Pretty spooked after that. Yeah, I mean, it's a bit deep, a bit deep for us. But I, um... I thought I should set it up properly, you know? I'm I'm pretty excited for this episode. I, uh... Very interested in the subject matter. Serial mm-hmm. killers I find very fascinating. Um, and I know, Brad, you're in that same boat with me. And, oh, 100%. Uh, what makes it even better is that Morgs is completely fucking horrified by <laughs> anything like this. So everything we talk about 
in this episode is just going to freak the fuck out of Morgs. And I think if if by the, if by we get to the end of it and Morgs hasn't threatened to quit the podcast, um, <laughs> I don't think Brad and I have done our job properly. No, I don't think so either. Yeah, this is kind of like the my version of the Furries episode where Brad <laughs> is just like black-pilled beyond belief uh, during the Furries episode. That's what I'm going to be like this episode. So, Brad and I have to um, conspire, I think, to come up with something that's as uncomfortable for Lachlan to talk about for 60 minutes. Can't so, we'll have to think of something. <laughs> I have no, no um, weaknesses. <laughs> we'll find it. Don't you worry. Yeah, I'll have to think about it. Maybe... No, uh, anyway, um, yeah, it is going to be a very dark episode, mm-hmm. as you can well imagine. Um, yeah, I think we've all, uh, I know I have at least, I don't want to speak for you guys, but I think we've all gone through phases of um, being really interested in serial killers and reading about uh, yeah, definitely stuff like that. And uh, yeah, <laughs> so I know in high school, already. I read this book, I read this book in high school, it was just like, like all about serial killers and it was just... I really, really enjoyed it. And I think at the time I was like so um, fascinated with the killers themselves and the like the psychology of it mm. and why they're doing it and just being like really interested in it that I didn't really think about the victims on the other end and no. how terrifying it would be for them. And now that I think about it that way, whenever I think about serial killers, I'm always like, imagine if that was happening to me. That's like why yeah. it's really hard to think about and read about and stuff so this should be a fun episode (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'm in the same book i i think it's the what fascinates me is just the idea that someone can do this and continue to do this and they're so different to me yeah like i I, I couldn't i couldn't do that um yeah yeah it just gets it gets that gets me it's so far out of the realm of what you can relate to and understand, I guess, that it's just, yep. you know, people want to learn about things they don't understand. And how can you possibly understand someone killing a bunch of people out of, like, some sort of sexual urge? Because that's yeah. what it always is. It's always sex. Oh, always sex. <laughs> yeah, and just a total disregard for the the dignity and yeah. life of the person that you're killing like it's mm. Mm. like i just couldn't imagine needing to stab someone to get off I just, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. it's just insane <laughs> all right let's get this over with um so bef- <laughs> before we get started today i want to remind everyone to follow us on facebook twitter and instagram subscribe on soundcloud itunes spotify wherever you get your podcasts and if you leave us a nice review on itunes we'll give you a shout out during the show to say thank you We actually have a nice review here. It's from uh, Emma. She says, I've gotten in the habit of popping Brad as a bad person on on a Sunday night when the kids have gone to bed and I'm stuck cleaning up the weekend mess. Helps the time pass. Always have a laugh and learn something new. Thumbs up. So, Mm. thank Thank you, you, Emma. Emma. Thanks, Emma. And definitely make sure when you're listening to this one, the kids are well and truly in bed. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, God. (laughs) And then check on them every five minutes to make sure they're still in bed. (laughs) Yeah, this is uh, not one to play in the car while you're driving your kids yeah. to school. So, if you want to get in contact with us and suggest an episode idea or just say hi, please do. We always love interacting with our fans. You can do that on any of our social media or through our website, bradisabadperson.com. If you really, really like us, you can send us some cash through paypal.me slash bradisabadperson to help with running costs. But otherwise, the best thing you can do to support the show is to tell a friend to listen. 
it tells a friend to listen or else it gets the hose again. <laughs> well done. Yeah. Lachlan, do you want to get this party started by cracking open a cold one with the boys? It's time to crack open a cold one with the boys. Green Beacon Grappler Lager. Uh, it's a green can, mm. cannon on the front of it. Never had it before. It is from uh, Queensland. Mm. Infamous brewed by serial killers. 1.3 <laughs> standard drinks. Uh, yeah, I don't know. The can's pretty nice, but uh, I've never even heard of the brewery. So I guess we'll give it a go. Yeah, decent snap. Yeah, not bad. Oh, high praise. All right, the best green beer is Vic, so um, maybe a close second. Uh, green demons, <laughs> the old hand grenades. Okay, so before we start today, seriously, here's a warning. It's going to be very dark. I'm sure Brad and Lachlan have picked the most disgusting, horrible things imaginable. You know. Just it. to freak me out, but also, you know, presumably you're into that because you're listening to this, but, <laughs> you know, if you're worried, now is probably a good time to switch off. Yeah. Um, a bit of behind the scenes here. Lachlan usually edits the episodes and then he uploads them before we release them. And then usually my job is to listen to the episode and make sure it's all good. Um, that he's done a good job editing and there's nothing else to do. But there have been a few times. One in particular was the time when Lachlan talked about the guy who continually ate stuff. <laughs> like, what was that? The French guy. Terrare. Yeah, yeah that where was I said to Lachlan, I'm, I can't actually... Uh, check this part of the episode so I'm going to listen to two thirds of the episode and skip that because it it was hard enough to listen to the first time so I'm not going to be listening to this episode after we do it (laughs) (laughs) warning for you Brad you're going to have to check the episode for quality but I'm not going to be editing it I'm not going to be listening to it and if I wasn't part of this podcast team and I love you guys you guys meaning the fans, not Brad and Lachlan. If I didn't love you guys so much, I wouldn't be here right now either. So, um, yeah. <laughs> what morning, it's going to um, get fucking dark. In our Exorcisms episode, I uh, gave a content warning before part of uh, my mm. segment. Um, oh. I think what... I mean, I don't know about you two guys, but I assume it's as bad as me. And what I'm going to talk about is much, much... Much worse than what I talked about in that episode. So, uh, yeah. Just, content warning. Just, yeah, content warning. If you have, uh, if you're a bit squeamish, mm. maybe skip this episode. If you have any empathy at all. <laughs> if you are not yourself a sociopathic serial killer, maybe skip this one. <laughs> all right. So, Bradley is going to go first. Yep. God have mercy upon us all. <laughs> Uh, make no mistake, tonight's subject matter is my attempt to make Morgan pay for subjecting me to <laughs> 1.5 episodes of Furry Degeneracy. Lachlan's time 1. will 5. come, come don't you worry, but tonight it's time for Morgs to get a taste of justice. <laughs> You've keeping- already gotten me back, by the way, Brad, with the I fucking haven't gotten Russian you back doll guy. In keeping oh, with gross. my Make Morgan Miserable mission, I've picked out <laughs> the most disgusting human being to ever walk the earth, Robert Bob Berdella, or as the media mm. dubbed him, the Kansas City Butcher. Now, quick sidebar. Uh, depending on uh, where you look, generally people like to believe there are two types of serial killers, process uh-huh. and product killers. Uh-huh. The latter generally don't derive any pleasure from the act of killing itself. Rather, they see it 
as a necessary means to an end to get the product they require. Think Ed Gein and the product he required, human skin. (laughs) Process killers derive a sick pleasure from the act of killing someone, and as such, generally speaking, also get sexual gratification from the act of killing someone. Process killers are far and away the worst type of serial killer, in my opinion, anyway. As sexual psychopaths, the the killing of victims can take hours, days, or even weeks. Unfortunately for six men in the mid to late 1980s, Bob Burdella might have been the worst, most disgusting process killer in human history. Born on January 31st, 1949 in, and I'm going to butcher this, Cuyahoga Falls, Ohio, Bob Burdella grew up in a relatively normal household for the era. His parents were strict Catholics, but not overly abusive. At the age of five, Bob required thick glasses to help with his nearsightedness, and due to his glasses and lack of physical prowess, Bob Burdella was often ridiculed, and throughout his schooling years, never really socialised with any of his peers. Big deal in the old serial killer world, that one. Uh Bob Burdella had a brother seven years his junior, Daniel, who had inherited the physical prowess his father had hoped for in Bob. And this drove a rift between Bob, his father, and his brother. Morg's a struggling already. He just he, he, <laughs> This is just biography, man. That's right. He, he knows what's coming. Mate, it's the anticipation. He's just... <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. By the age of 14, uh, Bob had realized he was a homosexual, a fact that he kept hidden from his uber-religious parents. I'm not saying that Bob's home life was perfect either. His father was a disciplinarian and would punish both Bob and Daniel with a leather strap for their perceived shortcomings. He would also be quick to point out Bob's lack of physical prowess. Bob Berdella may have been, uh, may have underachieved physically, uh, but all records indicate that he was academically very gifted, to the point of being aloof with teachers. We all know that douche from high school. <laughs> uh, <laughs> not really, Morgs was actually a good boy. Uh, at the age of 16, Bob's father would pass away from a heart attack. He was only 39. For lack of a better term, this fucked Bob up big time. While his father had been hard on him, he still looked up to him and expressed a, d- a deep regret for his loss. Berdella became an even bigger recluse after the passing of his father. During this time, he would see a movie that would leave a lasting impression on him. The Collector. Oh. The f- the film features a man who stalks and abducts a young woman he finds attractive. He holds her captive in his windowless stone basement, viewing her as little more than an attractive specimen. After several weeks, the woman dies of a contracted illness, despite her captor's efforts to keep her alive. Keep that one in mind. <laughs> Perdella would have... Would appear to find himself in his post-high school years, developing a passion for cooking and art, as well as writing to foreign pen pals. These pen pals would send him stamps, coins, um, and other exotic oddities, which he'd begun to collect religiously. Shortly after his graduation, Burdella would move to Kansas City and enroll in the Kansas City Art Institute. In his first year at the school, Burdella was again, by all, all accounts, a talented and attentive student. Uh, it could... <laughs> It wouldn't be until the following year that he showed a glimpse of his darker side. In his second year, Berdella would be asked to leave the school after three separate incidents involving cruelty to animals. 
Birdella mm. experimented on dogs with sedatives and tranquilizers, mm. killed a chicken in the presence of his peers, then finally, while giving an art presentation, killed a live duck on stage, gutted it, and cooked it. Oh, God. Edgy art school project? Possibly. But nonetheless, Bob Birdella was asked to leave and did so voluntarily. Bob spent the next decade working in kitchens, and again, he showed his aptitude, uh, quickly showed his aptitude for it. And by the mid-1970s, he was working as a senior cook in some of the leading kitchens in Kansas City. Okay. During the preceding decade, Bardella had continued collecting and begun selling exotic oddities to initially help pay off legal fees and fines related to drug charges he had ah, received get to the fucking point, Brad. as a 19-year-old. <laughs> and this is all contextual. However, Bardella um, enjoyed owning and selling these items of the macabre, and by 1981, would cease working as a cook to sell his oddities exclusively. In 1982, Bardella opened up Bob's Bazaar Bazaar, which is a lame name, and I also don't understand. Ah, the... that's fantastic. I don't know. Well, because he put the bazaar like as in the market bazaar first, so wouldn't it be bazaar like as in zany bazaar? Nah, it, lame it name. works either way. Anyway, he thought the local flea market attracted all sorts of uh, people. Though generally they were children and other weirdos. He drew large amounts of attention and soon became a somewhat prominent figure in the community, becoming more and more civically active. This culminated in his work for the South Hyde Park Crime Prevention and Neighbourhood Association and the establishment of neighbourhood watch patrols. The irony here is palpable. (laughs) Although Bob was outwardly successful, his new bazaar was not commercially successful, and as such he had people lodge at his house for extra income. Unfortunately... This outwardly trustful, trustful nature and revolving door of guests would allow Birdella to get away with the heinous crimes he committed for so long. Here you go, Mox. Birdella's <laughs> first victim would come on July 5th, 1984. Jerry Howe was a friend of Birdella as his dad, Paul, owned the stall next to Birdella's. Jerry and Paul had a falling out on the, on the 5th of July and Jerry came to Birdella to request a ride to Miriam which is a suburb of Kansas City, to participate in a dance contest. Birdella accepted, but lured the 19-year-old back to his house, where he plied him with alcohol, Valium, and asopromazine. Birdella's experimentation with dogs and many a silent gay victim had paid off. Birdella then injected a heavy dose of tranquilizer into Jerry Howe and tied him to his bed. For the next 28 hours, Birdella would note what he was doing to Howe in a Ah. diary. What objects he used on him, doses of drugs, everything. Howe was tortured, raped, and violated with foreign objects. The entire time, he begged Verdella, asking him why this was happening. Mercifully, Howe's body gave out, and he either choked on his own vomit, or the concoction, concoction of drugs and the mouth gag caused him to asphyxiate. Now, I genuinely believe that Verdella had been running a very similar playbook by abducting men, violating them, and then releasing them, and all of the victims were too scared or ashamed to speak out before that fateful day. When Jerry Howe died, strapped to Bardella's bed, he was in for a penny, in for a pound, so to speak. (laughs) Bardella took Howe's body to the basement, hung him from the rafters, and bled him into a large cooking pot. When he drained the blood, Bardella dissected Howe's body with a chainsaw and bone knife. Birdella wrapped up the individual pieces in newspaper, put those in garbage bags, and then left them on the street for rubbish collection. Eventually, Paul Howe would notice the disappearance of his son, 
and police would even question Berdella, but he simply stated he dropped him off in Miriam and hadn't heard from him since. Like all serial killers, Berdella's next murder would be even more violent as he exper- experimented with his method and his sexual sadism ramped up. Robert Sheldon was Berdella's next victim on, the, on April 12th, 1985. Sheldon was subjected to drain cleaner in the eyes, needles underneath his fingertips, oh. partly bound piano wire to induce nerve, nerve and ligament damage, as well as caulking in his ears. God. As God, needles under the fingernails. Mm. Oh. As, as, sorry, as Berdella set about experimenting uh, on the best way to maintain compliance. Oh, good Lord. I'd ra- Honestly, I would rather be... Straight up murdered, then have needles under my fingernails. That is, oh, this is just oh, a start. That's horrible. Mercifully, again on the fifteenth of April, three days later, a repairman showed up to Berdella's house, and he panicked and suffocated Sheldon to death. Again, he disposed of the body in the same way. In June, Mark Wallace would have the misfortune of crossing paths with Bob Berdella, and he too would meet a similar fate. However, Bob Berdella introduced electrocution into his hideous handbook of torture. Mark Wallace would 86, as Berdella noted, after only 24 hours. Jesus. On the, tw- on the 26th of September, James Ferris would be Berdella's next victim. Each time, he would run through his procedure, but add new steps, meticulously noting drug dosages, victim reactions, etc. James Ferris would be able to or would be the first to experience testicular electrocution ah. for five minutes at a time. Ferris would only endure twenty seven hours of torture before becoming delirious and eighty six. James Stoops followed in June nineteen eighty six. Bodella confessed to being the most physically attracted to Stoops, so he kept him alive for two whole weeks. Torturing him as bastard. he saw fit. Berdella tried to mould him into the perfect sex slave by breaking the bones in his hands, electrocuting his eyes to blind him, and injecting drain cleaner into his throat to stop him from speaking. The way Stoops died is actually so graphic, I don't even really want to mention it, because it's even in this fucked up story, it's too fucked up. It's it's not good. Um, you can look that one up yourself. Uh, even I have standards. Uh, Larry Pearson was next, and after awakening... From the tranquilizer, Pearson was extremely uh, compliant. Berdella enjoyed this and reduced the torture aspect with Pearson. He used him; he still used him sexually at will, but Pearson managed to avoid the worst of the torture for six whole weeks. And after enduring this for six weeks, uh, he, in Berdella's words, he snapped and attempted to bite his penis off. Ah. He nearly succeeded. Berdella was forced to have emergency surgery after Good. attending the ER to reattach his penis. Like, I'm talking it was held on by, like, a little bit of skin. That's yeah. it. Like, Good. tip just in the wind, which is Shame fantastic. Shame bleed out. Before rushing off to the ER, Berdella beat Pearson to death with a tree branch. In a small victory for Pearson, his act of divines would all but ruin sensation in Berdella's penis. Good. So... Berdella's final victim... Morgz looks like he's going to fucking throw up. He does. (laughs) Berdella's final victim would be Christopher Bryson, a male prostitute he paid for sex. Berdella ran his standard playbook and tortured Bryson for three whole days before Bryson's compliance helped him to gain Berdella's trust. He was able to use matches Berdella had absentmindedly left in the room 
to burn through his restraints before jumping from a second-story window, breaking his ankle. He was discovered by a parking meter inspector wearing nothing but a dog collar. Shortly afterwards, mm. Berdella was arrested, and his reign of terror was finally over. Good. He was obviously sentenced to life in prison, um, and he subsequently died of a heart attack when the prison staff refused to give him his medicine, which I think Oh, is- what a shame. Yeah, but like he was saying that they weren't giving it to him. Obviously, they were like, no, we're giving it to him. Yeah, um, like, oh, poor little Bobby needs his heart medicine. Yeah, he was contacting all these people saying, they're not giving me my heart medicine. Like, and then he just <laughs> fucking dropped dead from a heart attack. Yeah. So, you know. We'll, we'll get right on that, Mr. Birdella. Yeah. <laughs> um, when the police uh, came to his house, they tore up his backyard. They found two skulls in his backyard. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, one in his cupboard, one in his backyard. Um, and they were Sheldon and Pearson. Yeah, uh, Sheldon had initially been buried outside, but then um, when Pearson bit off his penis and he beat him to death, he cut off his head, buried that outside, brought Sheldon's back inside, and kept it in the cover because he liked Sheldon. Yeah, well, Sheldon um, didn't bite his dick off, I guess. Yeah. Uh, also, which is pretty disturbing because I mentioned he he like meticulously noted everything. Yeah. Um, they found the diary pages under his mattress. So mm. he had all these just pages of loose leaf paper, which had all these findings, I guess, from his experiments. But mm-hmm. he also had 357 Polaroid pictures of his victims. Um, some of them you can find on the internet if you're brave enough to go out there. Uh, they show him at different stages. Most of them are still alive being tortured. So, mm. I mean, there's one of, uh, I, I think it might be Pearson who's getting electrocuted and his whole body is just, like, contorting upwards. It's such a yeah. fucking disgusting picture. Um, but, yeah, that's uh, that's, that's Bob Berdella. He, uh, he's the what worst kind of, of killer. Yeah. And, like like I said, process killer. So because he he he, he ramped up. So he started off yeah. as a rapist and he was just picking up Escalation. Men. It's always escalation. Yeah, it's that escalation. So I think his first kill was initially an accident, but once, once they're in, they're in, you know? Yeah. And... He was obviously abducting men, tranquilizing them and raping them and then just kicking them out on the streets and no one was doing anything about it because, you know, it's a yeah. shameful thing to happen. Yeah, like, that's you right. feel that shame, yeah. And, I mean, if, if someone had reported him, maybe six people didn't need to die, seven yeah. tortured. Um, yeah, well, I mean, it, it's it's that whole thing of, um, you know, being gay in the 80s, you're sort of yeah, exactly, ostracized, yeah. you're on the fringes of society. Yeah, I'm not into, I'm, I just want to make it clear. I'm not blaming these guys. It's Mm-mm. just it's just shitty that it happened. Yeah. Um, because he was clearly someone who was ramping up. Like, you, you don't drug people and then, you know, throw them back out on the street. No. No, that's just us going to get caught. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was just brazen as well. Like, he, he the way he disposed of the bodies, he'd cut them up and just put them on the street, wait for the garbage collection. Yeah. Like, yeah. I um, he, he was out uh, of control. I'm I'm glad you did a process killer because I went the other way. I've gone with a product mm. killer, uh, which okay, we'll hear yeah. about a little bit later. But it's interesting just hearing. I, I had heard Birdella's story before, but yeah. just hearing it now after having done the research that I've done, it's interesting how much uh, he has in common with who I'm going to speak about a little bit yeah. later. Uh, there's there's a lot of parallels there. Well, I do remember the first time I heard about Bob Berdella. It, it was like what Morgan was talking about earlier. I don't know. He mm. hasn't said anything in about 20 minutes. But um, um, Morgs, can you just confirm for the listeners that you are actually still here and it's not just Brad and I? I mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
that was not recorded in post, by mm. the way. He is actually here. <laughs> He's just uh, really not keen on paying no. attention. <laughs> I don't think. But, yeah, like, like he said earlier, like Morgan said earlier, sorry, is um, when I was heard about Bertelli, it was that situation where I, you know, I have that empathy. I pictured myself in their position. I could mm. not imagine something worse. Like I would no. take being stabbed in the neck or you know, stabbed in the heart or something like that in a heartbeat over yeah, what this man quick. did to these guys. Yeah. Yeah. And just the idea that he was trying to, like, he would, you know, bind them, bind their hands so that they had ligament damage. They couldn't use their ah. fingers. He would, and I'm talking about bind them so tight that, like, the blood would cut off. Yeah. You know, you know after you've been like that for a day or something like that, your hands are just ruined. Yeah, Even go. if they escape. Yeah. 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 Um, like, the, the stuff that he did, like, dream cleaner in the throat and, I don't know how someone comes up with this. Like that, this is the thing that no, I mean is horrifying. Yeah, it's horrifying and fascinating at the same time. Like it's just so far out of my realm of thought. Yeah. If you gave me a person and you were like, "You've got to torture him," I wouldn't know what to do. You know? No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't think of half of that shit. You'd exactly. Like beat him with a pipe or something, maybe. Yeah, like because that's the worst thing I can imagine doing is hitting someone with a pipe. But yeah, yeah, it's just fucked up, man. Mm. See, Bob Burdella. So glad he died of a heart attack. Not a nice man. No, he got what was coming to. How do you feel, boys? Should I go next? I mean, if you want to. Um. Yeah. Okay. So. Um. <laughs> fair. I mean, I'm sure everyone can uh, empathise right now, but I'm much more comfortable with the idea of uh, serial killers in fiction than in uh, reality. <laughs> Because in fiction, at least, even if it was based on somebody, it's not real. So, what I've done today is instead of doing a serial killer, I'm doing a Brad's Power Rankings. So, <laughs> play the music. Coward. Brad's Power Rankings. Okay, top five movies about serial killers. <laughs> Five being the fifth best movie about serial killer, is it? Uh, and one being the best movie about serial killers. Yeah, yeah, starting bitch. at one or five? Starting at five. Okay. All right, number five. Rolling on in. We got seven. What's in the box, man? What's in the box? It's fifth place. That's what's in the box. <laughs> an interesting plot and plenty of thrills with an all-star cast, including Morgan Freeman, Brad Pitt, homosexual pedophile Kevin Spacey, John C. McGinley... <laughs> And vagina-scented candle maker Gwyneth Paltrow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's right. This movie would have been higher on the list if it wasn't stylized as S-E-7-E-N. The number yeah. seven doesn't look like the letter V. What a stupid way to write the title. Good movie, though. <laughs> you agree with that? I agree that you're a massive pussy. V, seven doesn't look like a V. No, it no. doesn't. No, I agree. Not even close. All right. Number four, rolling on in. Adam's family values. <laughs> what? Explain now, this to this, me. I'm looking forward to it. For this movie, I have done a full Morgan's movie review. That's right. I'm nesting one segment inside the other. <laughs> if I can deal with it, can't play the sound of Lachlan. Morgan. 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 Morgan's movie review. Adam's Family Values, 1993, is a nice change of pace from the usual gritty, violent, and overly serious serial killer movies there is plenty of violence in this movie don't get me wrong but it is all done for comedic effect wednesday and pugsley adams are jealous of the new adams baby and decide to kill it 
I know this must sound horrifically morbid, but it is done tastefully with humour. <laughs> this causes Morticia and Gomez Adams to hire a nanny named Debbie, played by the weird-looking but undeniably attractive Joan Cusack. Mm-hmm. There is something really strange about her facial expressions, but she's in fine form in this movie, making it blindingly obvious why Uncle Fester, played by Doc Brown himself, Christopher Lloyd, is immediately infatuated with her. Mm. It turns out that Debbie is a black widow serial killer, a woman who marries rich men and then kills them to take their fortune. She has done this three times already, and now she has her sights set on Uncle Festa as her next target. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> Wednesday Adams, played by a young Christina Ricci, is the only one who is suspicious of the nanny, and so Debbie sends her and Pugsley off to a summer camp for upper-class children, and hilarity ensues. Mm. The fish-out-of-water subplot with the elder Adam's children at the camp is a deep mine for humour. Their clashes with the perky, positive, and upbeat children land them in trouble, in trouble with the camp leaders, and their scenes in Camp Jail, a place the counsellors call Harmony Hut, provide for more laughs as they are forced to watch Disney movies, The Sound of Music, Annie, and The Brady Bunch in an effort to cure them of their bleak disposition. A hilarious topical joke, at least topical at the time, was when a young boy joins them in the Harmony Hut and screams when he sees a poster of Michael Jackson, a homosexual pedophile. (laughs) (laughs) I remember watching this movie quite a bit as a child, and I always remembered liking it more than the other Adam's Family movie. The first one, simply titled Adam's Family, made in 1991. So this got me thinking, what other sequels are better than the original? I think this topic deserves its own Brad's Power Ranking. Lachlan, hit the music. Brad's Power Ranking. What is happening (laughs) right now? This is Inception. I don't don't understand. So So I'm just taking a break from my movie review to do a quick uh, Power Rankings here. Um, This is the top five movies where the sequel was better than the original. Going from five to one, not in order of the best movies, no, but in order of the gap in quality between the first movie and the second movie. Uh. Five is the movie with the fifth biggest gap in quality between movie one and movie two, and one is the movie with the biggest increase in quality. You guys got that? Yeah, Mm -hmm. I'm glad that you explained that, because I would have naturally assumed that it would have been the, you know, the best of the sequels that were better. Yeah. I know how to do a bar Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Now that you got it, let's let's get into it. So, rolling on in at number five. Back to the Future 2, part two. Ooh. Going back and forward in time, retconning scenes in the first movie in a way that adds to the story rather than ruining it. The almanac, the hoverboard, the double tie, the inside-out pants, it's all good. Everyone knows that the Back to the Future movies go number two, then number one, then number three. Mm-hmm. I'm not shitting on part three, but it sucks ass compared to the other two. <laughs> We've talked about this in our time travel episode. Remember that being number five is not because this is not an excellent film, just that Back to the Future 1 was already so amazing that the jumping quality was not huge. Mm. Yep. Fair. Fair. Number four, Adam's Family 2, Family (laughs) Values. First one was good. This one was pretty good. Not a huge huge jump in quality. More about that when I continue my movie review. (laughs) Number three, Ace Ventura 2, When Nature Calls. Oh, yeah. Not only is the second Ace Ventura movie funnier than the first, but I'm still allowed to like the sequel. 
Ace Ventura 1 is cancelled for completely unfunny jokes about trans folk. Mm. That is fair. RIP and peace, at least we'll always have Ace Ventura 2 when nature calls. For now. Do you guys like Ace Ventura 2? Yes. I do, absolutely. Fantastic. One of my all-time favourite movies. Mm. Yeah. Do you think it's better than number one as well? Definitely. Without question. Yeah. I, I yeah. think that number one... I like number one. A lot. Oh, it's, yeah. It's hard Number one's good. It's always, it's always going to be um, hold a special point in my heart because it's the first time I saw like testicles tucked behind legs, and <laughs> I just did not expect that. It was so funny. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. Anyway, apparently Jim Carrey doesn't really like to do sequels, and they only convinced him to do Ace Ventura two by paying him fifteen million dollars worth it, which was half of the film's total budget, worth <laughs> and by letting him choose who the director was. Well, well worth it. that. Just that rhino scene alone is worth fifteen million dollars. <laughs> uh, goddamn. Um, yeah. So after that, he didn't do another sequel to one of his films until almost twenty years later, when he did Dumb and Dumber Two in two thousand fourteen. Mm-hmm. And I have decided not to watch that movie because it looked terrible, and I thought it would ruin one of my favorite movies, would, yeah. Dumb and Dumber. It hundred percent. Yeah, Dumb and Dumber Two was not going to make this list of sequels that were better than the first. So I'll tell you that right now. Yeah. But anyway, that got me thinking. Oh, no. So, it's time for a Morgan's Would You Rather. (laughs) I knew this was going. Morgan. Morgan. Morgan's Would You Rather. Okay, Mr. Jim Carrey, no sequels. Did Ace Ventura 2. Excellent. Mm -hmm. Then he did Dumb and Dumber 2. Presumably terrible. Mm -hmm. Jim Carrey is going to make another sequel to one of his classic films. Would You Rather, a 2020 sequel of Me, Myself and Irene, or... The cable guy. Oh. oh, that's tough. Which one do I think he could pull off? Um, well, the thing is, it, it might be like I I would rather see this. Like I'd rather see me myself and Irene because I love the cable guy and I don't want him to ruin the cable guy by doing a sequel. Or it might be I want him to do me myself and Irene because I love that movie and he might actually be able to make a decent sequel to it. My my answer will be based on what I think he can pull off. Um, Okay. Because I'd like to see a a remake of both of those, like a sequel, sorry, of both of those because they were both hilarious. Mm. I'm going to say that I think he would be able to pull off me, myself, and Irene, so that is what I'm going to lock in. Fair enough, fair enough. I don't think you can do Cable Guy again. I'm going to go with Cable Guy because that is the one I would prefer to see. That is the one I'd prefer to see. Whether he can pull it off or not is definitely up for debate, but if if he's going to make... If there's a sequel I'm going to watch, I want it to be Cable Guy (laughs) 2. Mm. I think Cable Guy was so off the wall nutty and uh, kind of divisive in terms of how it split Jim Carrey fans um, at the time mm. that I think it's probably the one that can't be ruined with a sequel because, like, in a lot of people's eyes, it's already mm. ruined. And yeah. in other people, it's like, it's like a cult movie. So, if they do a sequel to it, even if the sequel's bad, they'll still, like, appreciate that he's done it. So, yes. I, would, I would go the Cable Guy as well. Yeah. 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 Good call. Just quick. Quick sidebar here. I can't remember what your first power rankings were. <laughs> no, it doesn't matter. <laughs> anyway, back to the top five sequels that were better than the original. Right, yes. So we've gone back up a level now. Up a level, yeah. We're coming out of the inception. <laughs> Number two, Batman 2, The Dark Knight. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
I was originally worried that this movie was overhyped. I didn't believe the buzz around the supposedly amazing performance of our soon-to-be-suicided national treasure Heath Ledger. (laughs) However, I knew from the very first scene of this movie that it was a masterpiece. Batman 1, Batman Begins is a great movie, don't get me wrong. But the only thing it has over Batman 2, The Dark Knight, is Katie Holmes. Everything else, (laughs) the action, the plot, the suspense, the special effects, is in favour of the sequel. Hmm. You really I, think special mention? Gaff, eh? I would take Maggie Gyllenhaal over Katie Holmes. Oh, that is controversial right there. <laughs> That's my hot take. Oh, that should week. have been my mortgage, would you rather? <laughs> oh. I should have nested that one in there. Wow. That's crazy. Like, I would crazy. not have expected that. That is a big call. Hot take. Is that just to get access to Jake there? <laughs> wow. <laughs> I mean, he's a, he's a good looking dude. <laughs> he is. He is an exceptionally good looking dude. Uh, special mention of Batman 3, The Dark Knight Rises, which indisputably has the best opening scene of any movie ever. <laughs> I know you love it. For you. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent use of for you. Um, all right, rolling on in. <laughs> Sorry. Come on, hit this with number one. Rolling on in, steam rolling on in. Not even close. Huge power gap between number two and number one. We have number one, numero unero il primo posto, Terminator 2, Judgment Day. Yep. Oh. Yep. Absolutely. I agree 100%. Terminator 2 is infinitely, exponentially better than Terminator 1. Terminator 2 is a fantastic movie. Thanks for doing that part for me. I, I can't, <laughs> I can't really say it. it better myself. No, I can't, I can't really. It. No, I'm, I'm being sincere. I, I really think that was a good summary. Terminator 1 is a pretty good movie. Terminator 2 Judgment Day is a motherfucking masterpiece. Enough said. Terminator yeah. 2 is one of the greatest action movies of all time. There you go. Uh, be cool. Anyway, back to my movie review. As I was saying, I watched The Addams Family a lot as a kid, and I remember thinking... <laughs> I just feel like we need to get another segment in here. Auto <laughs> antonyms are words that are spelt the same but have opposite meanings, i.e. bolt, dust, buckle, or sanction. So, you know, you can bolt something in place or you can leave from a place at a rapid speed, like bolting. Mm, okay. Yeah. Auto buckle antonyms. Yeah, buckle. Interesting. There you go. Anyway, back to my movie review. As I was saying, I watched Adam's Family Values a lot as a kid, and I remember thinking it was amazing, hilarious, and with a good plot. I'm not going to go back on that completely, but this is clearly a movie for a certain age group. I wouldn't recommend it for adults, but I think if you have to watch a movie with a kid from, I don't know, 11 to 15 years old, this would be a great choice. I give it a very serviceable 7 out of 10. Oh, yeah. Not bad. Anyway, back to the top five movies about serial killers. <laughs> That's it. Uh. Rolling on in at number three, The Silence of the Lambs. Mm. An extremely disturbing film and a brilliant plot. You've got a serial killer, Hannibal Lecter, in prison helping a young FBI agent, Clarice Starling, find an active serial killer, Buffalo Bill. What more could you ask for? Anthony Hopkins was so good in this movie that he won an Academy Award for Best Actor, despite only having 16 minutes of screen time. This movie is also notable for the quote, Hello Clarice, which is never actually spoken in the film, 
joining the ranks of famous misquoted lines from movies such as Dry Land is Not a Myth from Waterworld and Frankly, My Dear, I Don't Give a Fuck from Casablanca. (laughs) (laughs) His Dry Land is not a myth, actually. Not a... Wow. It's not in the movie. Wow. Fuck. There you go. Number two. Rolling on in Mm -hmm. is M. This 1931 German film stars Peter Lorre as Hans Beckett, a serial child murderer who is wanted by the police. I've seen it. Intense- <laughs> the intense manhunt interrupts the operations of the underworld, and so criminals start searching for him as well. Then mm. regular citizens, disgusted by his actions and afraid for their children, also try to track down Beckett. The film builds beautifully as Han feels the heat from all of these different groups. M is masterfully shot by expert filmmaker Fritz Lang, who really capitalised on the opportunities afforded to him in his first sound film. He uses silence to create tension, which is finally broken by thunderous noise. He gives Hans a leitmotif in the Hall of the Mountain King, much like the shark in Jaws has the da-dum leitmotif. Lang also uses shadow to build suspense, especially during the stalking scenes and uses reflection, be it in mirrors or shop windows, for symbolism. The film finishes with a strong message that forces you to examine mob behaviour, due process, mental illness, and the nature of evil. If you are intimidated by the idea of watching a black and white film in another language from almost 90 years ago, (laughs) then I completely understand. But I encourage you to give it a go. An absolute masterpiece and a movie that will stay with you long after you watch it. Mm. I will warn you, though, it is a disturbing film. As Fritz Lang himself said at the time, Neinen das Fazen Autoschagen, <laughs> which means try not to puke in German. <laughs> oh, that was actually pretty good. Man, Have you actually seen the movie, Brown, or are you trying? I'm trying. Who the fuck huh. has seen a movie from the 1930s? <laughs> Isn't okay. Gone with the Wind from the 1930s? So basically every person in existence? I haven't seen it's a movie from the 1930s? Nah, it's Go fuck yourself. <laughs> fucking Charlie Chaplin over here. It is a really good movie. I'm not fucking with ya. Ah, number one. No, it sounds, oh, yeah. sounds pretty baller. I'll give you that. It's a it's a really interesting story that the like the criminals start hunting him as well. Oh. So he's like really, really feeling the heat. It's interesting. Anyway, number one. Rolling on in, as Lachlan said. It is another masterpiece. It would have to be to top M. This movie is beautifully filmed and also has a strong message. A harrowing tale of a sex worker who takes it upon themselves to find a serial killer who is murdering fellow prostitutes in what is supposed to be an open and tolerant cosmopolitan European city. An exploration into sexual identity and the way society sees Uh. prostitutes. All with a strong message of compassion and tolerance for sex workers and their clients. I know there's a bit here. The timeless classic, Juice Bigelow, European (laughs) Gigolo. I'm pretty proud of myself for figuring that out. I thought I kept that vague enough for you not to get it. I'm sitting there and I'm like, I know this is going to be stupid. Like, I can tell by the way he's setting it up. I was trying to figure it out, Lachlan. You beat me there by a long way. That is fucking... Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm pretty happy with myself. Well played, folks. Well played. Well yeah, done. a clue to the listeners. If I don't say what the title is straight up and I build up to it, it's <laughs> going to be... It's trick. something silly. Yeah. Excellent serial killer movie, though. It is a very good movie, though. Yeah. It's a- I think 
it's it's uh, not a sequel that's better than the original, no. but it's not a, it's not that bad. It wasn't on the other power rankings mm. for a reason, but it's not bad. Mm. Mm. Um, so for all those playing at home, that was a Brad's power rankings, which was interrupted by a Morgan's movie review, which is interrupted by another Brad's power rankings, which was then interrupted by a Morgan's would you rather, and during that we also had a uh, no context no context back. Thanks for watching. <laughs> yep, this this should be called the metasode. Yeah, so are we are we back out? Are we at the top level again now? I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah. See, Can this is really the problem tell? with Inception. You don't know whether you're back yeah. into the real world. Or not. <laughs> I have to We're throw back myself in, in front of a tree. Land. Is the is the top still spinning? Mm. Mm. I hope that provided a brief reprieve for our listeners who are about to puke their guts up. Well, yeah, fucking. But their their minds are probably blown right now, so it doesn't really matter. Like, I don't even. They probably had fun for ten minutes, which is good. So Mm. I feel good for providing some glimmer of hope in this fucking dark, (laughs) disgusting world. We should all kill ourselves because this is not (laughs) good. Jesus Christ! (laughs) Well, Morgz has gone real dark here. Yeah, I think we. I think we broke his brain. Yeah. When there's been a couple of times on this podcast where you guys have described things that it's like. So one person has had to endure something so horrifically terrible that I don't think anything in the world is good enough to make up for what they had to go through. And what Brad mm. just described, I think, is that. So, I think if I had a button that could just explode planet Earth, yeah, I would press that button. Press it, absolutely. <laughs> no one give Morgan that button. When we decided on this topic, Morgan begged... Brad and I, not to talk about anything super disgusting because he didn't think he would be able to handle it. <laughs> Naturally. Yeah, thanks for that, Brad. appreciate you <laughs> playing along with that. Naturally, this served as an invitation to both of us to find the absolute worst subjects we could to try and get Morgs to quit the podcast out of sheer horror. Correct. I wanted to talk about Albert Fish. But apparently, oh. there are lines that even I am not willing to cross. Yeah, Fish that is a good call. was perhaps the most evil and deranged man to have ever lived. And even now, without mentioning specifics of his crimes and even his everyday personal life, I'm debating whether I should be bringing him up at all on the chance that some of you listening might get curious and decide to look into him. Lachlan, I'll just interrupt you there. Um, My favourite comedian, Norm MacDonald, uh, used to do this bit on his podcast. Uh, He did it to, I think, two people, maybe three, where he would say, do you know who Albert Fish is? And when they said no, he would describe Albert Fish for like three or four minutes, like in gory, disgusting detail, explain what was happening. And then the punchline of the whole thing was, I mean, this guy was a real jerk. (laughs) (laughs) It was indeed a joke. That would be, uh, that would uh, be the whole Norm joke. Mac- that is a classic Norm McDonald <laughs> move. That's classic Norm. Yeah. So, I decided to talk about a different serial killer. Still evil and deranged, sure, but honestly, pretty middle of the road by serial killer standards. Ooh. Jeffrey Dahmer was a rapist, cannibal, necrophiliac, and to this day remains one of the most infamous serial killers of all time. There's so much information and nuance to Dharma's story that there is no way I could do it justice in the time I have, even if I talked for this whole episode. 
So I'm going to run through what I believe to be the key points in a chronological fashion. And even this is probably going to make the episode run over. Jeffrey Dahmer was born May 21st, 1960 in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Unlike most serial killers, he was not abused as a child. Quite the opposite, in fact. His parents did not give a shit about him. His mother was a narcissist <laughs> and a hypochondriac. That's a form of abuse. <laughs> what do you mean? Yeah, but he wasn't most, physically or sexually most are, like, abused. physically abused and, you know, they yeah, okay. raped his kids and stuff. But they just ignored him. They didn't fucking care. Yeah. Uh, his mother was a narcissist and a hypochondriac. His father had to spend most of his time tending to her, and so, save from making sure he wasn't dead, little Jeffrey was largely ignored. They had frequent explosive arguments, which Dharma recounts as the bulk of his early memories. Despite this, he was generally happy and energetic, until, at age three, he had to undergo double hernia surgery. Brad... You underwent single hernia surgery in your late 20s, so I'm sure you can attest to it not being something a young child would cope very well with. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I underwent it, but then they didn't even end up doing it, so they cut me open for nothing. <laughs> yeah. This changed his personality completely. He became quiet and subdued. At age four, Dharma took great interest in seeing his father remove animal bones from underneath their house. His father said Jeffrey was oddly thrilled at the sounds the bones made. Throughout the rest of his childhood, he would collect dead animals from the side of the road and dismember them, interested in how they fit together. In one case, he decapitated a dog, nailing the body to a tree and impaling the head on a stake. Oh, I just need you to know that if you ever have a kid that does something like that, kill him. Yeah, just kill him, straight up. Just save everyone the pain. Give him the old, uh, what's that movie, The Good Son? Give him that treatment. Just fucking <laughs> throw him off a cliff. Fucking spoiler alert. That's right the end of the movie. <laughs> fucking dickhead. <laughs> it's it's, like, like, it's like 20 years old. Come on. <laughs> oh, shit. At age 14, Dharma started drinking and soon fell into full-blown alcoholism. Around the same time, he realized he was gay. He would fantasize about physically dominating other men. At age 16, he concocted a plan to knock unconscious a jogger he found attractive and, quote, make sexual use of his body. Dharma hid in some bushes with a baseball bat, but the jogger just happened not to take his usual route that day. In late 1977, (laughs) after his mother had an affair, Dharma's parents decided to divorce. His father moved out in early 1978, and a few months later, his mother and brother moved away to live with relatives, leaving Jeffrey living alone at age 18. In June of that year, three weeks after graduating from high school, Dharma committed his first murder. He picked up a hitchhiker, 19-year-old Stephen Hicks, who was trying to make it to a rock concert and invited him back to his house to drink and listen to music. After several hours, Hicks decided to leave, but Dharma didn't want him to. He beat Hicks to death with a four and a half kilo dumbbell, then stripped him naked and masturbated over his body. The next day, Dharma dissected the corpse in his basement, then buried the remains in a grave in his backyard. Several weeks later, he dug up the grave and stripped all the flesh from the bones. He dissolved the flesh in acid, which he then flushed down the toilet and smashed the bones into small pieces 
with a sledgehammer and scattered them in the woods behind his house. Yeah. That was his first murder. Yeah, that's that's <coughs> that's a ramp up there, isn't it? Yeah. Zero to 100. <sighs> yeah. At age 19, Dahmer enlisted in the US Army. He trained as a medic and was stationed in West Germany. While in the uh-huh. Army, he drugged and raped at least two other soldiers, one claiming it happened repeatedly over a 17-month span. Uh-huh. In March of 1981, due to the rape allegations and his rampant alcohol abuse, Dahmer was honorably discharged. Oh, really? Honorably? He did not receive a dishonorable discharge, as his superiors did not believe these issues would translate into problems in civilian life. But, I mean, part of the honorable versus dishonorable and, like, general discharge is, like, whether you can draw a pension or not. Mm. So, if he, like... That's crazy to think that someone who has this kind of allegation yep. can draw a VA pension. That's mental. Well, I mean, it's the US Armed Forces. They're pretty okay with rape. Uh, over the next few years, he was arrested twice, once for drunken disorderly conduct, the other for exposing himself to a large group of women and children. He also stole a male mannequin from a department store, which he would have sex with, until his grandmother, who he was living with at the time, found it and demanded he get rid of it. In late 1985, Dharma was frequenting gay bars and bathhouses in Wisconsin. During many sexual encounters there, he became frustrated with his partners moving around while he was railing them. In mid-1986, he started slipping sedatives into their drinks and would then rape their unconscious bodies. The bathhouse revoked Dharma's membership after this roofian rape method happened on their premises for the twelfth time. Ugh. <laughs> Eleven times, shame on you. So, Twelve times, shame on me. This <laughs> is the thing. So, he was raping uh, people in the army, and they honorably discharged him. And then he was raping people in a bathhouse, and they didn't kick him out until he did it 12 times. So That's insane. He's just gotten away with shit. Yeah, it's just all, a failure on all, so many behalves. Uh, yeah, that's just, right. Uh, Shortly after this, Dharma read about an upcoming funeral for an 18-year-old boy in the paper. He made a plan to steal the corpse and use it as a sex doll, but when he tried to dig up the coffin, he found the ground was too hard. Oh, that got a reaction out of Morgan. <laughs> yeah. In November 1987, Dharma met 25-year-old Stephen Tuomi at a bar and took him back to a hotel room. His plan was to drug and rape him as usual, but when he woke up the next morning, he found Tuomi dead, his chest caved in, and extensive bruising on his own hands and forearms. He had no memory of the murder. He took the body home in a suitcase where, after letting it sit for a week, he again dissected it, stripping the flesh from the bones and smashing the bones up into shards. This time, however, he simply diced the flesh up instead of dissolving it in acid and threw it in the garbage along with the bones. He also (sighs) kept Tuomi's head, which he boiled in bleach to strip the flesh away and kept the skull as a masturbatory aid. This murder opened the floodgates. Now Dharma started actively seeking out people to murder. He wanted more bodies. Two months after Tuomi, Dharma hired 14-year-old male prostitute James Doxtator and took him home. 
After having sex, Dharma drugged Doxator and strangled him to death, leaving his body on the floor of his cellar. A week later, he gave the corpse the same treatment he had with Tuomi, again throwing the remains in the garbage and keeping the skull to masturbate over. Next was 22-year-old Richard Guerrero, lured back to Dharma's grandmother's house, drugged and strangled. Dharma sucked Guerrero's dead dick and the next day chopped him up, threw him in the garbage and kept the skull. In September 1988, Dharma's grandmother asked him to move out. She was sick of him bringing young guys into the house late at night. Wait, he was doing all this in the house with her? Oh, yeah. Jesus Christ, she dropped the ball (laughs) even harder than everyone else. I didn't realize he was living with his grandma. Fuck Every me. single person in this story dropped the ball, Brad. Oh. Every single person. There were so many opportunities for him to be stopped and no what. All through his life, no one gave a shit what he was doing, whether it was good or bad. And that's that's Jeffrey. <laughs> what's that small man doing in the basement? <laughs> she was sick of him bringing young guys into the house late at <sighs> night and the disgusting smells coming from the basement and garage. He moved into a one-bedroom apartment and was arrested the next day for drugging and sexually assaulting a 13-year-old boy. In January 1989, he was convicted of second-degree sexual assault and enticing a child for immoral purposes, but sentencing was suspended until May. Just on that, enticing a child for immoral purposes. Is there a crime of enticing a child for moral purposes? (laughs) Like if you got them to go to church against their will or something? No, I think you get like (laughs) civic awards for that. (laughs) Dharma moved Uh. back in with his grandmother and two months later he met 24-year-old Anthony Sears at a gay bar. They sucked each other's dicks and then, standard practice, Dharma drugged and strangled Sears. The next morning he dumped the body in the bath where he began disposing of it as usual, but he found Sears too attractive to just get rid of. Instead, he cut off Sears' head and genitals and preserved them in acetone. So that his grandmother wouldn't find them, he kept them in his locker at work. May came along, and Dharma was sentenced to five years probation and one year in a correctional facility with work release. Let me remind you, this sentence was for drugging and raping a 13-year-old boy. And then he was released on parole two months early. He only did 10 months in prison. What did, what did the, where was the head the whole time? Was he just keeping it in the locker still while he was in jail? Yeah, it was in his locker. Jesus Christ, that is so ballsy. <laughs> in May 1990, he moved into his own place, and a week later he hired 32-year-old male prostitute Raymond Smith, who, surprise, surprise, Dharma drugged and strangled. The next day he went out and bought a Polaroid camera, which he used to take photos of Smith's body in sexual poses. This time, he disposed of the body slightly differently. He boiled everything in a high alkaline detergent to strip the flesh and dissolve the skeleton in acid. Once again, Dharma kept the skull, this time spray painting it and placing it in a filing cabinet along with the poorly preserved head of Sears, which was now also just a skull. Hang on. Where is he? This is another thing as well. If someone's buying gallons and gallons of like, Acids and no one's paying attention. Detergents. No one yeah, gives a someone shit. Someone has doing. to notice this. Like, <laughs> ah, man, I just now. Yeah. June 1990, Dharma brings 27-year-old Edward Smith to his apartment, drugs him, strangles him, and strips the flesh from his body. Instead of disposing of the bones, this time Dharma puts Smith's skeleton in the freezer, hoping it would help preserve it. This didn't work, so a few months later he dissolved the bones and accidentally destroyed the skull. It exploded when he put it in the oven to dry it out. 
<laughs> Three months later, Dharma's victim was 22-year-old male prostitute Ernest Miller. He didn't have enough sleeping pills to properly drug Miller, so instead he slashed his carotid artery and Miller bled to death in minutes. He posed Miller's body for some photos, then took it to the bath for dismemberment. He spoke to Miller's severed head during the process, and he wrapped Miller's heart, bicep, and flesh from his legs in plastic bags and put them in his fridge. He bleached the skeleton to preserve it and again painted the skull. He would later eat the heart and flesh he'd saved. (sighs) Three weeks later, Dharma drugged and strangled 22-year-old David Thomas, though after drugging him, Dharma no longer felt attracted to Thomas, so he disposed of the body completely rather than keeping any parts for himself. February 1991, 17-year-old Curtis Strauter drugged, strangled, dismembered, Dharma kept the skull, hands, and genitals and photographed every step of the dismemberment process. Mm. Then in April, Dharma got his hands on 19-year-old Errol Lindsay. He lured him to his apartment and drugged him, but rather than kill him, Dharma drilled a hole in Lindsay's skull and poured hydrochloric acid into his brain. It was an experiment, Dharma said, to try and induce a permanent zombified submissive state. So he would have a corpse to fuck that would never rot. It didn't work. Lindsay woke up complaining of a headache, so Dharma drugged him again and strangled him. He flayed the body and tried to preserve the skin in a bath of cold salt water, but it didn't work and he had to dispose of it. Then in May, Tony Hughes, a deaf and mute 31-year-old, drugged and strangled. Next was 14-year-old... We're we're nearly there, Morgs. We're nearly at the end. (laughs) Next was 14-year-old Konarak Synthesomophone, just three days later. Dharma drugged him and drilled a hole in his skull, then injected hydrochloric acid directly into his frontal lobe. Before Konarak passed out, Dharma led him into the bedroom where Hughes' body was still on the floor. Dharma went out for a few drinks while Konarak was unconscious, and when he came back, he found the 14-year-old outside, naked, speaking in his native Laotian to three concerned women. Dharma tried to take the boy back to his apartment, telling the women they were friends, but they stopped him, telling him that they had already called the police. Two police officers showed up, John Bolchazak and Joseph Gabrish. Dharma told them Konarak was his 19-year-old boyfriend and he had just had too much to drink. When one of the women tried to point out to the officers that the 14-year-old was bleeding heavily from the ass and had a hole in his head, Bolchazak told her to shut the hell up and stop interfering. Ugh. The officers escorted the pair back to Dharma's apartment, where Dharma showed them naked photos he had of Konarak to prove they were in a relationship. Two of the finest members of the 1990s Milwaukee PD, of course, didn't want to get involved in any of that icky gay stuff, so after peeking their heads in the door, and despite the smell of a three-day-old rotting corpse coming from the next room, they wished Dharma a good night and left. When they radioed dispatch, they were laughing that a drunk, naked Asian male had been returned to his boyfriend and they would need to be de-loused when they got back to the station. Dharma injected more acid into Konarak's brain, which mercifully proved fatal. He called in sick to work the next day so he could dismember both Konarak and Hughes' corpses. 
In June, 20-year-old Matt Turner, drugged, strangled, dismembered, internal organs stored in the freezer, and skull added to his collection. Five days later, 23-year-old Jeremiah Weinberger, Dharma tried to make a sex zombie out of him using boiling water instead of acid. This put Weinberger into a coma, and he died two days later. A week after that, 24-year-old Oliver Lacey, drugged, strangled, dismembered. Dharma put his head and heart in the fridge and skeleton in the freezer. Another four days, 25-year-old Joseph Bradahoft, drugged, strangled, but not dismembered. Dharma slept with Bradahoft's body for three days before he discovered the head had become infested with maggots. Uh. Cut the head off, stored it in the fridge, and disposed of the rest of the body. And God help us, Bradahoft was the last person Dharma killed. His next victim was to be 32-year-old Tracy Edwards, the day after decapitating Bradahoft. Dharma handcuffed Edwards and told him he was going to eat his heart. After a harrowing five hours in Dharma's apartment, posing for photos and having a knife brandished at him, Edwards managed to escape and flag down two police officers, still handcuffed. Their keys couldn't unlock the brand of handcuffs Dharma had used, so Edwards led them back to the apartment. Dharma told them the key was in his nightstand, and when one of the officers went to go get it, he found hundreds of Polaroids of human bodies in various stages of dismemberment. Dharma tried to escape, but the officers overpowered him. Pinned to the floor, he turned his head towards one of the officers and said, For what I did, I should be dead. Mm. Milwaukee's Criminal Investigation Bureau searched his apartment, which turned up four heads, seven skulls, a tray of blood, two hearts, two full skeletons, two hands, two penises, a scalp, and in the freezer, an entire torso along with numerous other assorted organs. Dharma confessed to 17 murders and admitted that he had sex with the corpses and often other parts of the body during dismemberment. Despite undergoing psychiatric assessment and being diagnosed with necrophilia, borderline personality disorder, schizotypal personality disorder, alcohol dependence, and a psychotic disorder, Dharma was deemed fit to stand trial. He was charged with 15 counts of first-degree murder and pleaded guilty but insane to all counts. Mm. The trial started on January 30, 1992. Dharma's defense argued that he could not be held responsible for his actions due to his very clear, very deep mental issues. The prosecution argued that no matter how fucked in the head you are, you know that you shouldn't go around killing, raping, and eating people. Mm. That turned out to be the more convincing of the two arguments. (laughs) On February 15, the verdict was passed down. On the first two counts, Dharma was sentenced to life imprisonment plus 10 years. On the remaining 13 counts, he copped life imprisonment plus 70 years. Three months after his conviction, Dharma was extradited to Ohio to face another charge of first-degree murder. His first murder... That of Stephen Hicks was the only one that didn't take place in Milwaukee. Again, Dharma pleaded guilty and was sentenced to life, upping his total to 16 consecutive life sentences plus 930 years. Don't think he's getting out. He didn't even serve three of those years, though. 
In November of 1994, Christopher Scarver, already serving a life sentence for murder, beat Dahmer to death with a 20-inch metal pipe. When his mother learned of his death, she remarked to the media, Now is everybody happy? Yes, Joyce. Yes. We are. Yes. <laughs> Could you imagine the miscarriage uh, of justice there if uh, they put him in an institute? Like for the criminal yeah. thing, it does. It, it, it just there's no justice there. The Wisconsin me- outlawed the death penalty in 1853, um, mm. and while I am generally opposed to the death penalty, I think he should have been he should have been executed in the courtroom as soon as he was like as soon as he pled guilty. The yeah. bailiff should have just fucking shot him. Like Dharma was incompatible was, with his life. He was a monster. Yeah. Um, the Milwaukee monster. That's right. <laughs> uh, That's they call him. I just... Welcome back, Morgs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How you doing there? That one wasn't as bad because I already knew a lot about Jeffrey Dahmer. I mean, yeah. I'm sure if, if that was the first time I'd ever heard about it, it probably would have been horrific. Yeah. But, you know, I, I did read a lot about him when I was in high school. So, okay. like, Brad's one I didn't even know existed. So, mm. thanks for bringing that into the world, Brad. <laughs> but... You're Jeffrey welcome, Dahmer, I was, already, I was already well aware of mm. him, and I think, you know, he did some horrible things to people while they were alive, but the, the majority of what he did was while they were well, dead, in which case... Yeah, that that's where he's... He's probably not as bad as um, Bob Berdella that Brad talked about, and a lot of other process killers, because mm. he killed them, like, he drugged them first, and he killed them quickly by strangling them. Um, It wasn't slow. It wasn't drawn out. They were unconscious when they died. What he did with their bodies is fucked, but I guess from a a utilitarian perspective, they're just objects at that point. Um, It's very disrespectful, but you're not actually causing any harm. Yeah, it like, feels really feels really wrong for me to say that that it yeah. doesn't cause any harm to have sex with a dismembered body. But uh, yeah, I, I, I guess it's like a silver lining to a really shitty situation is that he didn't yeah. do that while they were alive. I the, the big biggest thing about Dharma, and you brought this up several times, Brad, is that there were so many opportunities for him oh, to be stopped. It's insane. And every single person that could have stopped him, could have even raised a red flag, shit the bed. Mm. It's, mm. it's like he, I mean, that's it. His neighbours would constantly complain about, like, screams and, like, thudding noises and the fucking smell of dead bodies, chainsaws coming from his apartment at, like, two in the morning, and nobody did anything. Yeah, it it's an apartment as well. Like, people need to understand, it's not like a... <laughs> A one bedroom apartment. Yeah, yeah. It's a one bedroom apartment in a in a building that doesn't exist anymore because they knocked it down. In the garbage, he wasn't fucking taking it anywhere or burying it or anything. It was just in his fucking garbage can, getting picked up by the garbage man every week. It's mental. It's absolutely mental. (sighs) The the failures there are just humongous. Yeah. Um, I. Yeah, it's it's the same with Verdella as well. That like. He had this sketchy house. Mm. Um, people had chances to, to catch both of these men, and they didn't. 
the failings yeah. there yeah. with the system. Um, yeah, I don't know. And, uh, <laughs> I think it was it was either late last year or early this year. The Milwaukee Police Department posted. Uh, I think it was on Facebook. They posted a little congratulatory message for uh, John Bolchazak, who had done something like uh, 40 years in the uh, mm. police force. And, you know, what a good job to him. Yeah. Um, what a fucking failure. Yeah. He he gave a 14-year-old boy back, back to, to Dharma. Jeffrey Dahmer. That's insane. With, with a hole in his head. Hmm. And he did, just let it go. I don't. I know this is a bit horses left the stable here, but did <laughs> we? Did we? Uh, I feel like we should have clarified the difference between you know a serial killer, uh, a mass murderer, and you know like a spree killer. A I spree guess. killer. No, okay. I think people get it. <laughs> well, all, all the two we spoke about were serial killers because yeah, serial killers. Over so a serial long killers period. have like a process. There can be downtime between them. Um, obviously, more than one victim. Mass yeah. mass shootings or mass killings. Sorry, uh, all done all in once. That's, all that's done your that's your Columbine or your Stephen Paddock type thing. That's yeah. a mass killing. Mass and then killer. and spree, spree killers, killers. There's no downtime, but they're not in the same location. Like a mass it's just killing. yeah, they it's just, just one kill to, next kill to the next kill to the next kill to the next. Yeah, kill. like that guy recently in Canada who dressed up as um, uh, Mountie and Mountie. went door to door shooting yeah. people. Yeah, so they're, they're spree He's killers. a spree so killer. They literally go on a killing spree. They don't stop. There's no downtime. Serial killers can be inactive for years at a time, like Gary's yeah. way or um, yeah, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely worth pointing out. Probably should have done it at the start of the episode. <laughs> yeah. I well, I think it. anyone who's still listening probably knew that already. <laughs> yeah, fair, fair. Oh, yeah. Power rankings, Wolves, you want us to get out of this? Yeah. <laughs> Power rankings. All right, so I thought I'd do something light this week. Obviously, um, given probably the, a good good decision. The subject matter was quite quite dark. So this week's is top five Tim Tam flavors. All right, uh, oh, yeah, yeah. I was munching on some Tim Tams. Uh, and, I'm, uh, I'm pretty. Know. I've got a pretty strong opinion about number one. Yeah, well, this is the thing. I also so knew it could get say. a bit heated, but it's heated for the right reasons. Okay, mm. contentious. Um, so, and I was, cause, you know, we're running a bit short, so, like, we're running over time, so I'm just going to smash them out real quick. Yeah. Um, number five, chewy caramel. No? It's delicious. Yeah, they're pretty good. Can't argue. Number four. Now, I'm making a distinction here. Murray River salted caramel. It was, like, a limited edition one. Nah. And I've always liked a salted caramel. They're, I it's don't different like to chewy. Sal- I do not rate salted caramel. Well, that's just- What? Where's and it upsets me, because you can't just get normal caramel anymore. Everything is fucking salted caramel yeah. these days. Yeah. Well, you can get I chewy caramel. That. I do like salted caramel, but I think basically everything caramel flavored has been taken over by salted caramel. Yeah. yeah. And I like salted caramel, but I, you know, I don't want everything to be That's salted right. caramel. That's right. Just want normal caramel. Well, they were limited edition. Caramel. I think the chewy caramel are like a year-round one. Mm. Um, now, number three, the originals. I am a Ooh, massive fan of the originals. Originals at number three. Yeah. I mean, they got us here, hmm? so let's, let's not fucking discredit them. They are really good. Now, number yeah. two, and I think this is where we're going to differ here, Lachlan, is I'm number two. I'm going to throw the double coats out there. Nah. Yeah. Now, double coats are fantastic. There's no double arguing coats it. are number one. No. Double coats are number two. This is the hot take that I've got. Okay? Okay. So, number one, and this is 
Lincoln gets this now, then. It's white chocolate. It's no. always white chocolate. Yeah. No. Oh, yeah. It's always white chocolate. It's, they're the best Tim Tams. White chocolate coats Tim are Tams are garbage. They shouldn't oh. even be. They're not even in the top oh. five. You know, you know. I know you oh. think Morgs was going to quit the podcast, but based on what you just said then, I'm done. All right? No. That is an outrageous thing to say. White and chocolate Tim I Tams. Can see, I can see you saying they're not number one, but not even not in the even top, top five. five. They're garbage, apparently. Yeah. Garbage. Get the yeah. white chocolate Tim Tams out. Get the choc mint ones in. They're, they're, they're number choc two or number mint. three. Oh. Choc mint is the most plebeian flavor ever. Oh choc mint in anything. You two sucks. have no oh. fucking idea what you're talking about. Uh. Uh, what, instead of having choc mint, Lachlan, why don't you just brush your teeth and then eat a regular Tim Tam? <laughs> Fucking idiot. That's disgusting. Get fucked up, mate. Chalk mint sucks, all right? Number one, white chocolate morgues. I'm glad that I was able to we were able to agree. I am something. happy that you put the double coat in the top five, though. I didn't think you'd, you'd include no, no. them. Double coat is, is a second, and it's well, not far off white chocolate. But a white lot of people just, don't consider mm. them their own thing. They think they're just the same as the original. But the, they're like they're, twice the size of an original. If I want to make the is what matters. Listen, anyone in America as well who doesn't know what a Tim Tam is, you're fucking missing out. It's oh, possibly one some. of the greatest inventions ever made. Fantastic. Um, all of them from It's where- funny whenever whenever somebody like like introduces Australian food to other cultures, it's always like, oh, I have some Vegemite, which is disgusting. Yeah. Whoa! Even, like, Whoa! I can, Whoa! I, can, I can tolerate it. I grew up eating it, but now I wouldn't eat it. But if you gave it to me, I wouldn't puke. We're doing but, fucking hot I takes mean, galore tonight. Of all the things Australia's got to offer in terms of food, our culinary culture, yeah. you know, Tim Tams. Give someone a Tim Tam. Mm, Tim Tams yeah, fucking fucking shit. Give them a Tim Tam. Give them an iced Vovo. Not give even iced nice Vovos. Ice oh, Vovos. They're pretty good. They're yeah, pretty good. Give them a Pavlova, mate. Oh, a bit of Pav. Yeah, give them a Lamington. Give them a, fucking- give them a fucking meat pie. Give them a kangaroo. <laughs> On the topic of Tim Tams. Yeah. And I think this is going to be divisive as well. Oh, here we go. <laughs> fridge or cupboard? Hands down, fridge. Oh, yes. Cupboard. Brad, I'm back on your side, mate. Yeah. They got oh, me the fridge. You want, them, you want them hard. You want the chocolate yes, hard. Yes. That's the thing. You pull them out of the cupboard and no. they're like only three quarters melted. Like they're yeah, already there. They melt, your they finger melt. touches it, it immediately melts into it. It's like, yeah. Yeah. What am I, and a fucking animal? That's why the double <laughs> coats are so good in the fridge. Yeah. And the, the thicker chocolate gets harder in your Mate, I've got some double coats in the fridge now. I'm going to go for it. Oh, baby. Yeah. Nah. Nah. I finished. Nah. Uh, 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 there was like two white ones before the podcast. I smashed them. And I did, that's why I went with the top five Tim Tams because I had double coats <laughs> and white chocolate ones in the fridge. It's fucking lovely. Where do you put your tomato sauce? In the fridge or the cupboard? Oh, it's, it's, it's hard. I feel summer I go fridge. Winter I go cupboard. I don't know. It's, it's a change. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, it's it a, changes, varies on the season. Interesting. Yeah, because in summer, I want that tomato sauce fucking cold as possible. Mm-hmm. It's on the food and it's just like, oh, it's a little frozen delight almost, you know. <laughs> but <laughs> but in winter, I mean, like, I'd take it or leave it. I, I, I mean, I could keep it in the fridge, but then it's almost too cold on anything. Nah, it's always in the fridge. I don't know. Nah, chocolate in the cupboard, tomato sauce in the fridge. Yeah. yeah. Change my mind. Yeah. I nah, 50% agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well... Yes. Anyway, good powering his brand. I'm just like, I was fucking horrified of what you. No, I thought I'd throw you a bone at the end of the episode. There, I was like, I'm not, I'm not going to throw you know top five ways to get serial killed or something like that. I was like, no, nah, <laughs> nah. <Get> serial killed. <laughs> I'm like, I'll just do something light, fluffy. Take us out. Yeah, 
Good work. Little yeah. fluff but anyway, that's the uh, that's the squirrel on the water uh, <laughs> yeah, the water skis. On the water skis. <laughs> yes, thank you, man. Um, but I I would actually really like to hear from our listeners if they enjoyed this episode because mm-hmm. I, yeah. I think this is a very deep mine. There's plenty oh, of material baby. we can go through here. I hope people didn't enjoy it. Um, <laughs> so if you really enjoyed the episode, can you please make a uh, a, a distinction between you enjoyed my segment because obviously what I did was. <laughs> hilarious and clever and interesting um so if you liked the episode overall but it was mostly for that then please (laughs) include that but if you want to talk more about serial killers this would be a good one to do a um follow-up on so brad and i are happy to do it there's a lot of serial killers to talk about and you know morgan has to sit through it either way so uh, (laughs) i think we just have to at some point we have to dispel with this notion that all three of us need to be present for every single (laughs) episode you know <laughs> All right. Yeah, well, shit. thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you for being here with me, uh, discussing one of my favourite subjects. It's been a lot of fun. I had fun. Mm. I had fun researching it. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. it's, it's a horrifying. Bit, it's a little bit, bit, little bit dark, yeah. but uh, you know, you gotta you gotta take the good with the bad. You you can't enjoy the light without the shadows. Oh, so. My God. Um, stop talking just just end it thank you dear listener for being with us if you are indeed still with us Um, please please share these episodes with your friends that would be a big help your most fucked up friend is the sick animal who would enjoy this if you like you know if your friends are going to enjoy an episode on serial killers or not before you share it with them you can't be like oh you know you might like this you might not you know you know yeah, which you know. friends are going to enjoy this episode. And if they're not, share a different episode with them because we don't want them to be Trolling. turned off. Yeah, that's a good fun That's a good one. Um, yeah, failures, that was good. Yeah, please share those episodes with your friends. And as Morgan said, please let us know if you would like to hear more about serial killers. Or any other topic for that matter. We would love to talk more about them. <laughs> and uh, we'll be back next week with something a little bit lighter. <laughs> <laughs>